I'm sitting on like Yosemite, man. I'm sitting on a giant super volcano of juice. You're listening to Blue Yonder with your hosts Jim Jones, Wainerville, Peter Streets, Breakfast Time, and introducing Aaron Hubbard. Buttons ready to be fingered. What, what were we talking about? We were going to discuss geek color blindness. Yes. Is there a test for that? There is. Probably should be. Cream or ointment you can apply. How are we going to approach the topic? Well, I don't know. How do uh, we just, naked how, and screaming? Excuse me. Did this is like from from episode one, right? I mean, it kind of came up. Yeah, this is old our likes and our geek credentials, and uh, Jim busted out with this hatred of fantasy that totally took Peter and I aback. <laughs> and I can't believe that you guys didn't realize how much I hated fantasy. I, I kind of re- it, it kind of came back to me as as Peter told the Bilbo Baggins. And his- <laughs> <laughs> I remember that sure. campaign of ostracism you launched against. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that like the uh, fantasy, but but it, it was you know because you're such a prototypical geek in many ways, it's just shocking. Well, Andy <laughs> yeah. plays fantasy ga- games that have fantasy heavy fantasy themes. Yeah. Like like I I always thought magic. Do I? I thought oh, magic was pretty yeah. Fantasy. Like yeah, what? Like Magic the Gathering. Well, dude. Magic the Gathering. I don't. No, give a no, no, shit no, no. Wait before fancy. you justify it. Before you go into your long-winded explanations. All, <laughs> all right. I'm trying to convey to you and Aaron, and as well as the listener, is that you play fantasy thematic games that are they're ripe. They're they're <sighs> there's fantasy up and down. Every every single Magic card has some kind of a uh, either a fantasy creature or it's got some kind of an inside joke on its little flavor text it's all fantasy yeah it's I called mean, magic it's, for christ's sakes it's, it's, it's a fantasy based game sure well i guess before we get too into the topic you know credit is or credit did, did because i we were talking to one of the listeners madbrew of madbrew labs you should check it out his blog google for it i don't know i think it's madbrew labs.com but i could be wrong um, he said, uh, you know, we we're talking about Jim. He's like, you know, it's almost like he's colorblind. You know, it's like he can't see that wave of the geek spectrum. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was pretty, I thought that was a pretty good way to explain it. And I don't know. I mean, I think probably everybody's somewhat got some kind of colorblindness because not everybody can like everything, right? Huh? Yeah, know. I mean, it makes sense like that you're not going to embrace everything that's out there unless you're some kind of a sheep that just eats <laughs> anything that you're given. Unless you're an intoxication. Well, I'm saying that you're not going to... I mean, everybody has personal taste, don't you think? Sure. And that uh, some of these target audiences and, and people who they're marketing these products to are not uh, necessarily going to fall in that demographic due to the personal taste. So the question that we've got is what are the reasons that a otherwise normal geek would not like fantasy and then maybe we could explore where we're colorblind that, Peter? Yeah, you know, there is some colorblindness also with 
maybe you and I, we we had talked a little bit about you and uh, computer role-playing games, talked a little bit about me and the real-time strategy genre of video games, which I'm not really into. And I think there's different ways to approach this, because first of all, I think Jim hating fantasy is a little bit different than both those examples. And I think that's due to the fact that at least in my, I can't speak for you two, but I know in my case, when it comes to real-time strategy gaming, I don't like that style of play. Like, it's this quick Twitch kind of game, and there's at the same time a lot of thought process that has to be, like, packed into every second you're playing these games. And you have to multitask I, like a motherfucker, basically. Right. And I am this guy that's, I'm like, really, when it comes down to it, Honestly, I like to win. Uh, <laughs> and you cannot win. And I find that when I lose because I wasn't able to have enough time to fully think out a strategy, that I get kind of frustrated, a little bit irritated. And well, I likened it to, I thought Gabe and Jerry, a Penny Arcade fan for fame, made a good point. That they're like, why, um, like Mike refuses to play, or they, they stop playing RTS. Like, you know, if you've got like a FPS or you're playing a fighting game, you can rationalize that that per- person's like quicker, huh. you know, uh, had more practice, whatever. But with an RTS, it's very much like the other person's brain is beating your brain. <laughs> because it's like they're thinking faster, they're able to multitask more, they're more, I mean, you can't really say, oh, it's goddamn my mouse fucked up, or, you know, I'm practicing. It's basically their brain is beating your brain. Yeah, I mean, with RTS, there's also a level of knowing the game. I mean, like, I I remember playing uh, Supreme Commander with my friend Psychonuts, and that game is so complex that if you jump into it for the first time, you are going to get slaughtered if they've played it even once. Because really? there's just so much to that you could possibly do in that game. Yeah, it doesn't work out. And uh, there's different ways, I think, to say somebody's brain defeated you, because I feel that when I lose at chess. Legitimately feel like they outthought me. And it's fine, because usually, like, and and it's that way, too, I'm sure, with RTS, is that if you get thoroughly trounced, you're going to be better for it if you keep playing, because only can you get better at something if you go against people who are better than you. And I've been preaching sure. that for a long time. And it's the, it's the honest-to-God truth. If you truly want to hone your skill at something, go out there and get your ass kicked by a, a champion, because that's the way you're going to learn. It's Yeah, you're right. You feel that same feeling with the chess, except for it's intensified, because there's so much multitasking, there's so many... So many things that's like, you know, you can even make the right move in an RTS and it'd be wrong because you waited 10 seconds longer to do it than your opponent. Yeah, and that's so. exactly my point, Aaron, is the fact that, like, when I'm playing an RTS game, I feel like this intense pressure to constantly be making decisions, even yes. though I don't think that I've, I've had time to think out that choice. And I don't feel like confident necessarily in the choice, but I have to make some kind of decision. It's the same reason I don't like, um, you know, timed chess matches. I, I don't really enjoy it because it's that same the same concept with an RTS. Like, uh, you I don't really like to feel rushed, right? 
I like, like to I take even, my time with choices. Especially even on, even uh, in playing thinking. magic, you're like really that. That's the one thing that gets you pissed is like if you're feeling rushed. Exactly, because I like to with, with those kind of games. I kind of run through this thought process of okay, I kind of feel like making this decision. What would that mean? And then I kind of run through the situation in my head and then play it all the way back and do something else. And I kind of go through these several passes with each choice. With a real-time strategy game, you've got no time in the world to go ahead and mull over, oh, should I place my base next to these blocks? You know, or, or should I build this unit? Or should I just mass produce these units? You have to kind of constantly be making choices. Yeah, I mean, a lot of RTS comes down to, like, they have specific build orders. Like, you pick your strategy before the game, and you know your build order immediately. You're like, click here, click here, click here, build these, build these. Um, And then the the real strategy and, like, where you become better than your opponents is how fast you can adapt to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Also, I've heard there's even another layer, like, you're even microing your individual units. So you have people simultaneously having this large-scale strategy and then reduce that to a microcosmic little tactical adjustment on single units during the match. And it's like, wow, how do you... I don't know, my brain must be slow or something, but I cannot do that that quickly. I and maybe if I if I played all the time and I did nothing but RTS, I could I could get that good. <laughs> Which I'm sure is say, what those guys if I do. Would pa- well, if I would posit, I would say that you're colorblind to RTSs, so therefore you don't want to put in the time necessary. It's like it feels funny. I don't like it. I don't want to get good. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes yeah. against your and brain. Yes. Yeah, so. I don't have like um, a natural inclination to like those styles. Because there's other games, bullshit but... mechanics in other games that you will put up with in Master. It's just this <laughs> one you, you don't have any affection for. And I'm actually in the same boat as Peter here. Like, I am not a huge fan of RTS. I've played a lot of them, um, just because a lot of my friends are big into RTS games, and I'm like, okay, I'll just play along with my friends. But um, the only ones I've really gotten into significantly are the Westwood things like uh, Command and Conquer, uh, Red Alert, stuff like that. Things that came out of Westwood Studios years ago. Same here, and, I, and I'll even go so far as to say I like playing the single-player campaigns um, yeah. because you know the computer sucks basically, and I can <laughs> the the way I like to play RTSs is I like to amass an unbeatable, impenetrable defense <laughs> yeah. and build up an overwhelming offensive unit and proceed to just in no way is it a fair fight at all pillage the the computer so you you know obviously human players don't oblige you by letting you do that yeah <laughs> Talk, tell us about like why don't you, you so you're picking up a book lord of the rings uh, no, I would never do that. He's never picked that up. But 99% <laughs> of geeks in their DNA like Tolkien. Tolkien. Yeah. So so what is it about you? You're, you're starting to read a fantasy book, or you're, you're picturing your mind's eye. I'm sure you've read one, or you've started to. or you've I've started to read what The Hobbit. What makes you flee in terror? <laughs> well, I mean, The Hobbit just... the I don't know, man. It just was so boring and dry to me. Um... Because I guess the, the Tolkien books are not that exciting at first. Is that correct? 
say that's fair to say. Yes. Okay. Um, so I was not really engaged with the story immediately. It was just kind of all this backstory, which I wasn't particularly interested in um, when I picked up the book, and I kind of got through the first few chapters and was done with it. And I thought like a lot about this uh, as far as why I specifically don't like uh, fantasy books. And I think a lot of it has to do with, bizarrely enough, the names of characters and places. Um, and we, we talked about this a little bit, Aaron, in the car the other day. <sighs> the names that they use in fantasy books for people and places are very, like, flowery and exotic um, and, in my mind, hard to pronounce. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you're saying them out loud or in your head, even. And that, when I run across one of these names in a book and I can't immediately pronounce or recognize it, uh, what I'll do is, instead of actually learning that name for that character, is I'll just kind of place a generic marker in my head to like signify this person or place. And what happens in fantasy books especially, and this is kind of a, like a trademark of fantasy, is they have a lot of these names. Um, so you're always seeing new places and people and things that have these flowery, weird names. And... For me, since I'm marking them with these generic markers, they kind of end up jumbling together um, mm-hmm. as this mass of things that I don't care about because I'm not connected to them. Right. It's kind of like it's, it's almost a catch-22. It's like before the authors had a chance to get his grips into you, you've already like nullified that because his storytelling doesn't mean shit if the character's name is immediately not identifiable. Yeah, and, and like, I mean, this comes still, directly to the point of me enjoying the movies Lord of the Rings and not the books. Um, because I, instead of having just this name to identify with this character, I now have a face, I now have a person that I can not care about their name. Like, I don't know 90% of the names in the movies. I mean, I know, like, Gandalf and Bilbo, that's it. <laughs> well, you know like, Frodo, right? Yeah, Gandalf and Frodo and Bilbo. Like, those are really the only characters I know. Gollum? <laughs> well, of course, yeah. He's he's different. He's in a league of his own. Right. But it's I, not necessarily the the names I'm identifying there with. It's the the physicality of the character. Like, I can see them. I can now attach their actions to a uh, physical presence, not a name. That you makes know, a lot of sense to me. And now that you mentioned it, I kind of actually see where you're coming from there because I've tried to get into Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series about three separate times. And I was bogged down at like 250 page mark of book one because they've all got these like generic flowery names. Like it always seems like they're, they're going to the eventide beach of the evermore forest of the underdark world. And it's like, <laughs> Yeah, Plus, like all these really, to me, recycled Tolkien concepts where it's like, OK, I see what you did there. You mixed the Nazgul and Urukai together and combined with all these names that have random consonants and yeah, I was going to say that like it... and apostrophes just stuck everywhere. They're bristling with apostrophes. <laughs> they like, are. But but like so it's like I, I maybe I'm not as colorblind as you. Like I can see shades of gray, but that same bullshit does drive me crazy. And I was actually going to say, it's not only like the really exotic names with the apostrophes and stuff in it, but it's also names that are boring and bland. So there's like this balance. Like you were saying, Eventide, Underwood, Dark Star, whatever. 
Right. I mean, these these places all kind of blend together because they have no real identity within their name. But if you go to the other end of the spectrum, you have the crazy stuff that you can't even pronounce, right. and you don't even try. So yeah, there's a balancing act there for sure. The, another book series that kind of inflamed the same anger in me is I love Tom Clancy. Um, I, he kind of sucks. Jack Ryan. But I do like the. <laughs> I will say that some of the books that I really like, um, still kind of tripped this on me. Like for, he had this. In, okay, a lot of his books have to do with Cold War, and there's a lot of Russian names. No. One about Russians is like <laughs> one Russian will be known by five different things depending on who's speaking to him, if oh, he's yeah. a friend, if he's a superior. Like Jim might be Jim Jamanovich. Or he might be Jimbo, or he might be, you know, Ivana Vitra, or it's like all these like riffs on the damn name that sometimes they don't even, like you can't directly chart a course from the original name to where they got there. And he just acts like you're going to know that when he refers to this guy by a completely different name, you're going to know who it is. Yeah, it's like he's trying to be too realistic with it and not like adapting it to the audience that he's going to have. Right. And like maybe so- that's how it works in Russia, but we're not Russian. Right. So, <laughs> but, but I always thought like Tolkien was good, and that he actually had decently like normal sounding names. Yeah, some of them are. Although I still couldn't tell you who like uh, I can't distinguish between Mary, Pippin, Sam. Like I have no idea. Right. Well, but you, I, I know what they look awesome. like. But I don't attach the names to the faces at all. Because <laughs> I'm with you. I actually, when I see a name that's like Mixelplick, you know, with uh, apostrophes <laughs> everywhere, yeah. I actually literally say the word wheelbarrow. <laughs> you know, like when I see the name that makes no sense, I'm like, okay, that's wheelbarrow. After the fifth or sixth wheelbarrow, I'm like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like, if there, wheelbarrow. If there are too many wheelbarrows, then they all mix together, and you don't care about anything in the story anymore. Right, because you, you care what's in the wheelbarrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing I was going to say about names um, is actually names that are too similar to each other can also be a problem. Like, uh, for instance. Um, especially in Lord of the Rings, like there's Aragorn and Arwen are both uh, very similar names, and they might not seem like it. But have you ever gotten the like the email chain letter that's like an entire paragraph of words that have jumbled up letters, except the first letter and the last letter of the words are all the same as the original word, and it it, it actually takes no effort to read this. It's just like reading any regular page, even yeah. though all of the words are jumbled. Um, like if you have two words that are very similar, especially with like beginning and ending letters, then you can actually start to confuse those and not be able to tell them apart as easily. Uh, one other thing I do want to talk about with fantasy, like this goes to why I like sci-fi, but not fantasy. Um, because a lot of people will say they're very similar in a lot of ways and I can agree with that to a point, but I think what really it comes down to is is a lot of the magical powers and things that you see in fantasy and also things like Star Wars. They're, they're based on things within the universe that they've created, but that universe is not in any way connected to our reality. And I kind of like exploring the reality that I'm in, not necessarily some entirely new one. Yeah. Uh, which sci-fi I... is all about exploring different possibilities within our current reality. I, I kind I, of understand what you're saying. Like, it might be possible someday to travel at sublight speed and go to a different star system, but you're never going to be able to 
summon a Balrog from the depths of the mines of Moria to fight. <laughs> right. for, you know. Yeah, and I'm never going to run into an elf here on Earth. I'm never going to run into a gnome, whatever. Hmm. That's an interesting idea. I'd never thought of it that way, because I was about to challenge you um, on that topic, Jim, because I know <laughs> you've read a lot of Star Wars novels. Sure, and yeah. Star Wars has a lot of fanciful elements to it, and I was actually talking mm-hmm. to... Um, one of our listeners, he's not a member of our forums yet, I wish he was, but um, forums aren't his scene, and we were talking in private the other day, and he was surprised um, at our Star Wars vs. Star Trek um, episode, because going in, he thought it was going to be this science fiction versus fantasy debate, because oh. he feels <laughs> that Star Trek, well, first of all, he feels that Star Wars is definitely a fantasy universe, because you've got, you know, people riding on dinosaurs, and you've got the force, <laughs> and you've sure. got lightsabers. You've got, basically, you've got knights in space. <laughs> and then he looks at Star Trek and kind of sees it as more of the archetypical, you know, science fiction universe. And I yeah. thought he had some good points there, but I kind of was saying to him that growing up reading Star Wars novels, they were kind of more you know, into the sci-fi bits of the universe than, you know, what happened after 99 and episode one, where it was all about dinosaurs stepping in the poopy and, you know, <laughs> light, lightsabers in every single frame of the movie. Yeah, I'll co-side that. I, mean, I, I actually that, contend that, that if, you, if you pull out the Force and the dinosaurs and the poopy from Star Wars, you still have... Fantasy a poopy. Solid- a solid story there um, that stands on its own. I don't think you need the Force to tell the story that George Lucas was telling. I don't either, and I think it has a lot of great themes, and I think the same is true of Lord of the Rings. There are there are a lot of fundamental, deep, underlying, kind of spiritual-esque themes in both of the adventures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because you've got the, the whole motif of the coming of age and the the facing, you know, your greatest fears and conquering them, and a lot of the same same things happening here in these different mm-hmm. stories. Totally, and, yeah. You know, Star Trek is kind of neat in the sense that you might someday see a man fly a ship around Mars. <laughs> that's kind uh-huh. of that's kind of a neat place to be as far as your headspace. But there are certain themes that fantas- fantasy can talk about that other types of realistic novels cannot touch. And the reason is fantasy drops your guard and all your preconceived ideas have no place to exist in a fantasy realm. See, I I don't know if I agree with that because I think good science fiction, science fiction at its core, what it is, is taking those preconceptions that you have, presenting you with them, making you take note of them and then saying, why do you have them? What, like, it changes one little thing and then shows you a completely different perspective within our own world. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm saying. I agree with you 100%. I'm just saying that fantasy is a good place to do that as well. Sure, yeah, they they can both do it. I I thought you were saying science fiction couldn't. (laughs) No, absolutely. I'll also say they can do it both. I'm just saying that there's there is more validity to fantasy, not necessarily in that it's giving us a goal, because most of it's like in the distant past and it's like medieval technology. 
and it's not really giving you a technological milestone to shoot for, but a lot of the things that we go through in life can be covered in that space, and your sure. mind is a little bit more open to consider them than it would be if if it was in some kind of realistic setting. I also think that, going back to the original concept of these names and stuff, is that there's also a lot of science fiction novels that fall into the fantasy world trap of crappy names and generic totally. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I've read so a lot of Star Wars, horrible. too. Oh, yeah. yeah like, is it Kaboss or Seaboss? I don't even know to this day. I mean, I've yes, read, right. like, Sith Lords and stuff have fucking crazy names. How do you pronounce Quizux? Zizor? How do you, how do you pronounce yeah. these names? And that brings, like, I'm glad, Aaron, you brought this up, because I want Jim to justify how he was able to read those novels okay. with their crazy names and get past that, if it was like Star Wars and well, not like Lord of the Rings. Familiar. See, I, huh? It was the familiarity, right? It, exactly. Had, and They and introduced then, one or two crazy new characters. Exactly. It wasn't all just like, okay, wheelbarrow, I got five wheelbarrows now. Wheelbarrow is betraying Wheelbarrow, who was Wheelbarrow's father. And, and the universe the itself that's is a wheelbarrow. wheelbarrow. And the universe <laughs> is a wheelbarrow. Fuck the wheelbarrows. Like, the, gotcha. like legitimately, the universe there is a wheelbarrow in a fantasy book. Because so, it's an unknown as well. And I think yeah. that's that's okay. that's a good point for fantasy authors or any of one to, like, if you're going to build a world, a universe, take it fucking easy. You, you need to slowly introduce, you know, think of how many wheelbarrows the reader's having to continue with at any one time. This is a good principle, the wheelbarrow, Aaron's yeah. wheelbarrow principle. My greater wheelbarrow theory. <laughs> I like, I like it. it. I like it, too. If I ever write a story, I'm going to take that to heart, man, because... <laughs> it, uh, and I'm not sure that's true with every audience, because clearly some of these stories are very, very popular. Oh, yeah. Uh, so sure. clearly there are people out there that just love wheelbarrows and they just want you to completely <laughs> drown them in wheelbarrows. But when it comes to like people like maybe me, you and Jim, you know, maybe one or two wheelbarrows. And I think, can I, can I guess on something else, Jim? If I were to, <laughs> if I were to guess on something, sure. I would say that you kind of are, you've already described yourself as enjoying a world you can relate to or aspire to and like is like one or two foreign objects in there kind of make those objects more interesting. Uh, yeah, I could probably agree with that. I mean, that's, that's like also another part of science fiction is you make these little tweaks, like they just change one little piece of technology or add something and, and it changes everything. So, so yeah, I could agree with that. Uh, what, what other areas are you guys blinded? I think we, beaten this uh, fantasy topic to death with a wheelbarrow. Well, I think one thing you guys <laughs> might be surprised about is uh, well, I think you won't know because I've already said it, but until then, I don't know what's the surprise that I are not, I'm not into CRPGs at all. What? Like, like even, what? even ones like uh, oh. Knights of the Old Republic, which I've actually played. Oh, on really? Poop on you, because that is a phenomenal game. I know. And I used to, like, back Beach in the NES camp. days, um, and in the Commodore 64 days, I was big into, like, uh, Dragon Warrior and Bard's Quest, and... You were big into that stuff? Yeah, and I don't know why I, I took a long sojourn into first-person shooters and kind of computer, you know, modern PC gaming, 
And the next time I picked up a CRPG was like Final Fantasy VII, and I was like, this is bullshit, I hate it. What are these wow. cartoons? Damn, games? that's like the start of most people's career. I know. With I know. single player. So maybe you guys can help me break it down, because I don't See, understand. I, I don't understand this about myself. I recognize that it's cool. I like to hear someone tell me the story of them. I just hate the fact that I have to get it doled to me over the course of 40 to 70 hours in some of these games. That's the thing, I think. Like, I'm, I'm almost in the same boat as you. I'm not a huge fan of RPGs. Like, I think the new Final Fantasies have been laughable. Like, 12? Okay, I want to sit here and watch someone else. I want to sit here and watch a computer play my game for me and watch cutscenes. No, thank you. Um, and, and I think that gameplay style was interesting at the very beginning because it was new, and then it kind of got old for you. And there are several things to consider here, I think, on this argument, because, sure, things need to evolve in order to continue forward. Everything has to change in order to be relevant for the next generation. And, you know, back in the days of the original Final Fantasy and Dragon Warrior games, um, which I believe it's Dragon Quest here in the or in Japan, but um, when it comes to those, they were products no one had seen. They had read Tolkien, but they had never set foot in a universe that allowed them to swing a big fantasy sword and ride on a, you know, a big ferret and, you know, cast magic spells and things like that, because people up until then had just had their own imagination. They'd only have Dungeons and Dragons and games like it, where they would get together to enjoy this kind of fantasy stuff. Whereas those games, for the first time, you could see kind of like the first time, Jim, you ever played a video game. It was like interactive television to you. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. sparked your imagination. That same kind of spark, I think, is is what those original role-playing games were like for people who had only been rolling dice. Now they actually, yeah. you know, pressed a button and they saw their character actually destroy a a visualized creature with a magical spell, and it seemed to be the next evolution. And I think that you have to continue to evolve that in order to make it relevant. I think the best company out there right now doing that is BioWare. Sure. Um, and well, why can't to- I get into... I agree. Why can't I get into a BioWare, especially something I'm primed for, like Knights of the Old Republic? I should eat that shit up. It yeah. seemed like you did play that for a while. What, I, why did I, you stop playing it? Because it was boring. Like I felt like I was just walking around this damn planet, and like okay, See? I'm I'm fight I'm like I'm like fighting pit battles for huts, and I can and I'm like I, you know it's like well, get to the point, you know. Hmm. At some point, it's like the freedom almost felt stifling. Well, there's not much freedom in that game, which is why I'm kind of surprised you yeah. say that. Because I was actually going to say that, yeah. Yeah, most of that game is just kind of the illusion of freedom, which is a topic for well, which is really relevant because Final Fantasy Thirteen has just come out. I bought it for PlayStation Three, and the game is literally a series of corridors. Oh you, God! You fight. A you know, of let, let me finish it's describing. A <laughs> <laughs> it's a series of tube stakes. It's like a dump truck, eh, Ron? It's and easy. you're surrounded by wheelbarrows, and you have to kill them. And... <laughs> no, I, I, mean, I forgot about uh, the fact that this came full circle to wheelbarrows now. 
honestly, it's it's been getting a lot of media, um, a lot of a lot of people in the media are slamming it because, sure, their old titles were very linear stories, but they had an illusion of freedom and exploration, kind of. Tr- all the side top. quests kind of gave you that illusion. Yeah, yep. it, yep. you know, I didn't have to necessarily go to that big tower and fight the bad guy. I could go to this town over here and just dick around in a bar for a while. Mm-hmm. And it gave you that sense of you were in control of the, the flow of the adventure. Now like the old privateer games. Yeah. Yeah, where you have, you know, you dictate the flow of it. And they've kind of stripped that out in Final Fantasy Thirteen, and have gone for this kind of short attention span. Give them another, give them another monster to fight. Give them another cutscene that tells more story, and oh, rinse God. and repeat until the game is over. See, and that is the worst. What possible. they've done. Like, I, I think we should do away with cutscenes. Forget cutscenes. Although Square Enix would go out of business if they did that. <laughs> yeah, most uh, of their, their entire fan base. Yeah. yeah, it seems like games are going towards no cutscenes, too. And it is like, about time. I was going to say, there is legitimately only one decision that you make in Knights of the Old Republic that has any effect on the game. And, and I I don't want to ruin it. I guess the game's like 140 years old now, but right. like when you decide to go good or bad at the end, like th- that's legitimately the only decision that affects the game. See, uh, I guess but I don't know. I mean, in a not meaningful true. way. I mean... Yeah, you can have different relations, like different relationships with the people in your party, but at the end of the day, the story is only affected by that one decision. Well, I would disagree. I would say that the universe ultimately is affected one way or the other. Um, but as far as the actual story, the interpersonal relationships are definitely a part of the storytelling. And well, that, I mean, it's true. Yeah. That can go vastly different. And that's part of the interesting thing about that game is that you actually influence your party. Whereas in other games you can do anything you want to and your party will happily, you know, watch you and not have anything to say about it. And in Knights of the Old Republic, they will they will chew your ass out if you're doing something that goes against their alignment. Mm-hmm. And then they will stop uh, at, at certain points and they will no longer accompany you because they disagree with where your, where, where your plans are. And they no longer will talk to you. They won't tell you um, elements of their backstory. They won't, like, it's almost like a, a simulation of, of friendships and relationships with these characters. Because if they don't like what you stand for, they're not going to confide in you. So you don't learn hardly anything about the characters who are maybe light side and say you're going dark side, and it's vice versa. Like, the more you go dark side, the dark side element will actually take you on and befriend you and... Yeah. Tell you more about themselves, and it, it's I really kind of thinking, interesting. I guess I'm thinking of the story as a destination, not necessarily the journey, which I understand is a mistake. Well, yeah. I think the other big problem, as Peter is describing it, is when I play these games, um, especially even Knights of the Republic, I clearly remember thinking that it's very obvious the impact of the action. Like, okay, these characters that they're showing me, um, you know, say I've got a bounty hunter and a Jedi, and a Wookiee, and a droid. I feel like I knew all of their motivations almost from, like, the first introduction. And if I did this, I was going to piss this guy off. He's going to be indifferent. It just felt like 
not very real. You know, because in real life, you never know, aren't, you really know when you're going to hurt somebody or when you're going to make, you know, not all the time, especially not off the bat. And it just felt very kind of like I had three responses I could choose from. And it's almost always pour gasoline on a fire, neutral, and, you know, pour water on the fire. It's like, yeah, it felt. I think that's kind of interesting because, like, the next evolution is kind of BioWare's next games, like Dragon Age. You can subvert some of these characters, you can break their will and change who they are. Well, Wesley Crusher was talking about that at PAX. And it's it's totally dynamic now, in that you can influence the NPCs. Not only are they now influencing you, but you're able to, if you desire to, influence them. Which is pretty compelling. Yeah, that's very cool. I like that. To see um, how it's handled because I just you know I, I've I've tried a bunch of different games that said they're going to be revolutionary and the CRPGs and I that's one of the other thing is I never considered CRPGs as RPGs yeah um, and I, I, I remember playing like when I was playing Bard's Tale and Dragon Warrior I remember my cousin said something was like oh Dragon Warrior that's one of those CRPGs and I'm like what. Because at that point, I had played RPGs, and I'm like, I just thought this was some kind of really technical adventure game with obviously some RPG elements in it, but that'd be like saying it's a Tolkien story just because there's dragons and trolls and skeletons and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm kind of forming the opinion here that I'm colorblind to CRPGs a little bit because I see them not as role-playing. I see them not even as adventure games. I see them almost like watching a movie. Like, you are... Literally, if if they had in movie theaters a button on the seats that you had to press to keep the movie going. Like, that is what I think a CRPG is. I'd say because that's what Heavy Rain is for the PS3. <laughs> Cause oh, no. I, that I, game and, it's, and it's just yes. like that. But I would have to... to say that you are kind of speaking out of turn a little bit, Jim, and I have to disagree with you quite a bit on that as far as, like, computer role-playing games, because there is a vast difference from the Western style and the Japanese style. And I think in Final Fantasy thirteen, that's a Japanese RPG that was kind of influenced by Western styles, and it was their interpretation of a Western game. So then you have a party of people and a straight line and a boss fight at the end of it. Okay, that's not compelling. Yeah. That's watching a movie, and the only gameplay really is, you know, the fight sequences and the character development behind the scenes, which is totally in your control. However, the plot is not, and yeah. a true role-playing game, the story has to be completely at your command based on what you decide to make your character, because you're role-playing that character. So if what you choose to do isn't allowable, or if it's not important, then it's not really a good role-playing game, in my opinion. And I think that Bioware, as far as Dragon Age is concerned, has totally achieved this. And I, sure. I, th- and I, I don't think any of you have tried that, have you? I mean, like, I want and to. I think I was going to say, no, I, I was going to say that about Aeron. Is I, I think that some of it is that maybe you haven't played some of the newer incarnations lately. See, that's what I was going to say. Before we get too far into this, and you're accusing me of like not knowing about RPGs, I understand that, and that's where I was going with this. I was going to say, I think Aaron's taste have been spoiled by the old CRPGs that he's played, um, and so he's not and willing to give the new RPGs. ones a try. 
by paper it, RPGs. Yeah, well, the CRPGs especially have like you you were playing these real RPGs, and then you went and kind of like downgraded to CRPGs, mm-hmm. which at the time were extremely linear. Um, you weren't role playing; you were just following a story that someone else had written, um, and just pressing your fighting button monsters. through it. Yeah, fighting monsters, whatever, watching cutscenes. Um, and now these games are evolving, and they're turning into these actual role-playing experiences. Um, so that's actually where I was going with it. I just didn't have time to get there. <laughs> All right. I, I, and I wonder about that, too, because, Aaron, didn't you say that you enjoyed, like, the old-school style? Because those were, like, basically just grind fests. Well, you know, and I liked Final Fantasy Tactics, but I felt like this is a really cool game, and the story's getting in the way. And I sometimes right. feel like RPGs is the opposite, that this is a really cool story and the damn gameplay is getting in the way. So there is something to that in that I think I like the original Dragon Warriors, like 1, 2, and 3, and Bart, because those that gameplay was actually new enough. Yep. You know, the whole, it's kind of, there is a addictive kind of to the leveling and outfitting your party. And, like, I remember, you know, one of my all-time favorite games is Wasteland and how... You could really customize your party to be um, a wrecking machine, uh, or you can make it like to be more tricksy and it's a dollhouse for guys, basically. It exact. That's a really good way to put it. And you know, but that got old. You know, just like I, I, I kind of sure. got burnt out on it. And then yep. once the mechanic was old, and I don't think there's been a lot of evolution in mechanics of late. It's starting to happen. It really is. Well, it's probably because you need art- almost artificial intelligence. Pretty much, yeah. To come up with a convincing computer or dungeon master that gives you the freedom you need as a player to enjoy it. And like you mentioned, I I, I really don't know because there are a lot of different ways to enjoy these games. There's the collection, the combat, the progression of your character as like a physical being in the universe. And there's the progression of a story and an emotional journey. So... There are different ways to enjoy, there are different styles of role-playing games out there, and I guess it just depends on what you're looking for, because, you know, both Final Fantasy, the original, and Dragon Age are considered role-playing games. However, they are vastly different experiences. Okay, I feel like if I don't jump in here, you nerds are going to talk about RPGs all day. Um, does anybody have anything they want to say on that before we move into one of my other geek blindness issues? No, actually, I thought it was a pretty good time for transition. Yep. All right. Um, well, then I'm going to go right into another geek blind issue that I have, another area where I don't uh, <laughs> don't find any real value for myself is anime. Or, I'm sorry, for all you purists, anime. <laughs> uh <laughs> What about oh, this? Man. Because I, we were just we were just before this cast sitting here watching the over nine thousand video over God, and over, God. over again. Which I as I, hilarious as that I've is, got, it's a shame because that is Dragon Ball Z right there. Yeah. Oh God. Like that is the entirety of the series. Yeah, I, I don't want to hear some Dragon Ball Z apology. It will probably send me into a, a, a fury. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I totally hate that show so much. It's kind of like my dirty pleasure. Like, I can totally <laughs> agree with the fact that there are all kinds of reasons why you guys wouldn't justifiably like it. I accept that, but God damn it, I still enjoy it. 
It's like it's like uh, it's like someone reading romance novels. No one's saying this is great art. It's like yeah, yeah I'm masturbating here. Don't don't watch. <laughs> I have to say that I hate anime too. Uh, except I had a niece that was obsessed with it. She was like referred to herself as otaku or whatever bullshit, you know, fanboy names they have for themselves. And like when she would come over and stay with us, she would go and watch Cartoon Network, you know, Midnight Swim, and I would watch it with her and I would mercilessly swim. Or Adult Swim. And I would, I would mock her watching Inuat Yasha and all this other stuff. And then, I actually found myself watching the show called Full Metal Alchemist, <laughs> and I yep. recognized there was anime bullshit going on. Like, I hate when they feel strong emotion and their faces turn into cartoon faces, or, <laughs> you know, they do, like, other ridiculous, stupid things. But Or they oogle 13-year-old girls in bikinis. <laughs> the story was <laughs> good Tentacle enough. penises. Tentacle penises shoot out from every corner of the screen. <laughs> <laughs> the story and the art was good enough that it actually won me over and I got sucked in. And since then, I've found a couple other series. For example, Sham- Samurai Shampoo um, that's been able to do that. But for the most part, I still yeah. hate Anime, but anime. For the, for the record, I for the record, I want to say I do know the difference between like hentai and manga and anime. I I don't think anime is tentacle penises shooting out of every orifice. So just for well, the record, only I'm, I, I'm marking that down. I, I, okay. I'm making a note of that. It's on Thank the record. You. But you know, so so I think that like I was pre- and without somebody like I basically was just watching it to mock, and then I found myself actually absorbed in the story. I think that there is just like you can't like I don't like country music, but there's some country music I like. So it's like it's it's very hard to say there's nothing of value in any genre. But sure, there's yeah. genres that you're gonna to have to really you know, you probably otherwise you probably will never look hard enough to find it unless you have somebody kinda of guiding you. Yeah. A lot of times the the massive geeks are the wrong people to guide. Because I had people like, Oh, you've gotta watch Ghost in the Show and uh you know, Cowboy Bebop is the blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, those are gay. I've seen them and they're gay. I was about so, to say, I do like Vampire Hunter, what is it, Z or D or whatever? Vamp- Vampire Hunter D. D? Okay. Yeah, yeah I did like that. That was cool. Huh. Uh, but the style it. was very different from most anime I've seen. This is a podcast, I think, where we all started um, agreeing that I think I'm the least colorblind, if we're going to use that mm-hmm. motif. Um, or that analogy, rather. Agreed. In, in that, I also like anime, and I like a healthy, diverse variety of it. Um, mm-hmm. I did not like Cowboy Bebop, though. I, I watched that. I did not enjoy it. As far as the anime series I've enjoyed, I've liked um, the accursed Dragon Ball Z. I've yep. liked Full Metal Alchemist. I've liked Inuyasha. Oh, and my God. You did that. Tons of <laughs> Defend Inuyasha? Oh, it's so it's, bad. Uh, it's really interesting. Like, I I've like never the, seen this, so I'm checking out I here. I like the alternate universe. Uh, <laughs> Bye, Jim. I like any, any the... Uh, penises, is that how you measure how good both, an anime is? Can we both check out you Jim? Measure, it, I, I'm you not measure opposed, the tentacle. I'm not opposed to Peter talking for five minutes about Inuyasha. I just want to check out, too. <laughs> can we oh, like, God. See, you don't really want to know. 
You don't want my justification. I want to be in Chinese. He just trouble. wants to mock your justification once you're done telling it. Right. Yeah. That's what he wants to do. See, that is the trademark of a closed mind, my friend. That is true. <laughs> I, is I true. like Inuyasha. I haven't watched Inuyasha in a while. I actually used to watch it um, back when my son was being uh, nursed. Uh, my fiance, she's um, kind of had nothing else to do <laughs> during the time that she was, uh, and this is, this is some sensitive personal information there for the listeners, um, so if you can't stand the word breast, close your ears. Oh she my god, bre- tentacle penis. I'll just cover it up with <laughs> tentacle penis. Okay, cover it over with a few of those and I'll continue. Yep. <laughs> okay, so basically why she was tentacle penis feeding um, my little baby son... She was bored to tears because you don't have free hands, you can't play games, and she's not really into just generic television. So she downloaded a bunch of anime shows and was watching those, and I would sit there and watch a lot of that too. And one of those was in Yasha. And it's kind of like, I would justify it by saying that if Jim Jones were to break through that barrier of wheelbarrows and stupid names and things, how he would probably... Once he got to know the characters, he would probably start to get interested in the universe just because he's more familiar with it. And the same thing is true with like Inuyasha. The more I watched, the more I was enjoying the consistency of the storytelling. Because it's telling one tale from the very start to the very end. But and, my problem with Inuyasha, because I watched a lot of Inuyasha, it was one of my niece's favorites, and I had to slog through that to get the full no alchemist. Um, is that it felt like G-rated hentai or hentai for 13-year-old girls. It's very twilight. It's very, it's like very wish fulfillment for, for, for women. Uh, and specifically teenage women. (laughs) You see where I'm going with that, Peter? Uh, this conversation needs more tentacle penis. Beautiful demon. (laughs) It's gonna interest me at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not really, because I've never seen Twilight and I never will. So I, I don't really know what you're what you're talking about, but oh, I, come on! You I know that it's like it's developed to attract the quote unquote tween, and I guess like I, I guess I'd need more justification on the comparison because I don't really see what you mean. I'm just saying that both you're talking about this beautiful demon boy that's extremely tough and kind of like you know maybe aloof towards the female character at first. And, you know, there's this kind of sexual tension, and I don't know. It's just mm. this 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 very immature look at love, and you know, I, I just I like the demon penis, like in the and the sword he had was really cool, and like his father, like I like some of the lore is what I I fell in love with. This whole idea of like it's kind of like the biblical concept of the nephilim, uh-huh. where you've got full fledged demons, and then you have Tentacle hybrids. Penis. And yeah. the full-fledged demons are way more powerful than the hybrids, but um, they're still able to carry out this war because of this blade that he gave both of his sons. And one of his sons is way more powerful, so he gave the less powerful sword to him. And Inuyasha is, like, not necessarily as strong, but he has a more powerful blade. And I'm actually being course-corrected here by my fiancé who says that's not true. I... I guess, but that's that's the well, way. Well, you I only liked it for the demon fight, so you're excused. <laughs> yeah, I just liked it for the clashes and the Tentacle fighting. Penis. Uh, I was I was gonna say, um, you were talking about 
like kind of watching anime and then being almost forced to get into it. Um, well, I have a story along those lines. For a while there, I was working uh, at Jimmy John's, and I would work Jimmy like, in John. the mornings until right after the lunch time. Um, and when I came home, the only thing to watch on TV was a back-to-back marathon of Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh no, Jim. Oh, oh no. God. No, no. And so every day, like, I would come home, and the only thing to watch was Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! So I for, like, to believe what I'm about to hear. So for, like, six months, I was watching it, like, every day. Both of those shows, Uh-oh. every day. <laughs> but, like, I want to know what's up with this, because I don't like it to this day. Like, I, I never really got into it, into it. Um, and I still kind of despise it as being ridiculous and having no value. Uh, both of those series. So what I I don't understand. Like I don't even understand what's going on with that. Can I can I like maybe theorize with you because I had a similar situation where I felt I had to watch my brother and sister after school. That was my job, and I was given no executive power. I basically uh, had to cajole and wheedle. And part of the delicate piece of cords that my brother and sister and I forged was that they could watch goddamn Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> Now, this show sucked so bad if you were in high school, but I kind of, as I was watching it, and I was forced to watch it, it was the only way, yeah. I started to develop the, what you would call a Stockholm-type syndrome relation with it. <laughs> it's like, I started feeling sympathy for the characters, I started noticing, well, you know, the Pink Ranger's kind of hot. She was kind of hot, yeah. Kimberly. And, and there, there, there is some camp value here. I mean, you know, like... The whole, even the introduction, I, keep, I, 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 my first thing I think of is Zord sitting there and saying, this horrible galactic evil person has loose. We must, we must assemble a team of teenagers with attitudes. And I was like, <laughs> really? So the ultimate evil's unleashed. Emperor Palpatine's on the stage. And well, I guess it makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. was a teenager with attitude. That's exactly what you need. I realized 20 years later. <laughs> So, Captain Planet, I, teenagers with attitudes. But I think you can develop a Stockholm Syndrome relationship you hate. I, I agree. The Stockholm Syndrome comparison is a very good one. And, and you know, just so you know, it's like Stockholm Syndrome means like if you were taken hostage by terrorists, <laughs> you start rationalizing the things that they're doing and, and finding, you know, things in common with them, and you actually start to feel sympathy towards your captors. And yep. it's like psychological hold they have on you. There's a very good It's Always Sunny episode where that happens. <laughs> so, yeah. That's 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 what I'm feeling happened probably with you and uh, Pokemon. Because that's shit. Uh, Pokemon slash Yu-Gi-Oh! It was both of them. Yu-Gi-Oh! is bad. I actually watched about 20 minutes of Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, last Saturday. Oh, I was terrible. Um, it is like the lamest, boringest tutorial on how to play the game. <laughs> um, really shitty art and voice acting. Yeah, it is 100% a commercial for the card game. In fact, we need to start playing Magic like people on Yu-Gi-Oh! start playing. Like, every oh, single... God. You know, we narrate it like it's an action we're taking. And I deploy an attack position by <laughs> fucking Flying Rin! <laughs> and it's like Peter can... Red-Eyes fly. Blue Penis Dragon! And then, like, you can, like, grunt and tremble and go, ah, 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 you know. Lightning helix. Ah. Okay, well, I think that's going to just about do it for the show this week. 
just to let you guys know, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but we release the show every Wednesday. Uh, so Wednesday. you can schedule it, mark it down on your calendars. Same uh, pod time, same pod channel. <laughs> if you have any questions or comments or you just want to chat, you can visit our forums at www.baldmove.com. Or, or send us an email at blueyonder at baldmove.com. Or you can reach us by phone at 1-800-WHEELBARROW. And that said, until next time, I'm Jim Jones. And I am Peter Street. And I'm Aaron Hubbard. Ciao. We are in Uh, so what are we talking about tonight? Who wants to be a millionaire? Uh, I would love to be a millionaire. No, that's what we're talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd love to be a millionaire, too. Oh, I would love to be a millionaire. I don't know anyone who wouldn't love to be a millionaire. Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Never mind. Check and anyone who's a billionaire. <laughs> There is no real art. I guess Pain and Conquer Tiberian um, Sunset or whatever. Starcraft's <laughs> probably the best sunset. for me because I plan on yeah. playing the second one. I like science fiction. Command and Conquer, Mojito Morning. Command and Conquer Sunset. It is. It's a Tiberian Sunset. Not Tiberian Sunset. It's called Last of the Mojitos. <laughs> it's got decent reviews on Game Fighters. And it's Tiberian Twilight. See, that's not fun. Tiberian Twilight, alright. <laughs> it's not Tequila Sunrise, I know oh, that. Oh, like, like Vampire <laughs> Twilight. Yes, they're trying to get the vampire around. Command and Conquer 4, Tween Edition. <laughs> <laughs> Eating pizza is fucking loud. If you have a mic in your mouth, you don't want to hear your gums flapping around in the background. <laughs> I eat a plate. Thanks. I eat a plate of greasy pork chops every time we podcast. You guys, <laughs> it's a wiser. Just like Sean Connery does before he punches <laughs> out Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Like you don't know that this every scene in every Sean Connery movie you've ever seen, just <laughs> just before the camera rolls. He is shoving a plate of steaming <laughs> pork chops into his mouth, but he's hurriedly handing it off to some poor AP boy. <laughs> and then saying, all right, I'm ready for action. And he doesn't even say that. He goes... He's <laughs> 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 definitely sucking some gristle between his teeth. <laughs> Peace.